Michael Crossland, welcome to Chew the Fat. Great to be here. Thanks for the invite. I I, uh, I haven't eaten today, <laughs> so I, all I'm doing is just staring at this incredible <laughs> feast you've created. I thought you were staring at the microphone. I'm excited. <laughs> 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 so today I have prepared you a nice little steak medium rare. I didn't ask you, and I'm hoping that that's okay. Yeah, amazing. Um, uh, with a little chunky salad, nice and light. I don't want to weigh you down for our conversation. <laughs> so take a bite. Can't wait. Move, move that to the side. I'm alrighty. Okay. A little mushroom sauce on top there. Mushy goes to the side. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I've seen them do this on TV <laughs> and they do this fake facial expression like, oh, mm, <laughs> that's amazing. And then I'm waiting for the. <laughs> yeah. But that's delicious. Awesome. That's awesome. Can we just hit pause on the interview so yes, I can we can. This is amazing. <laughs> that's what we'll do. Michael. Where I'd love to start, before we get into your incredible story, what's your purpose on this world? Deep question to kick off with. You know, I I think that it constantly evolves depending on where I am in my life. You know, I think, and and as we will digress or, or delve into my journey, you will see the importance of what I prioritized at certain different times in my life made me feel as though that was my purpose. But I think for now, I really believe that my purpose in life is to get out of bed each and every day and just make a difference in one person's life. You know, for a long time, I thought success was about the materialistic possessions that we could gain, having the, you know, the massive house and the fancy watch and the fancy clothes and drive the fancy cars. And I, I realise now that there's nothing wrong with having those things. You know? uh, but I think if your sole purpose in life is to get out of bed and, and create and achieve those things, then one day you're going to have all of them and you'll probably be alone. Whereas when you just have this burning desire in your heart to simply get out of bed and, and make someone else's life better, that anonymous to anonymous is the greatest form of giving. For me, that is, you know, that is what I really think I've been put on the earth for. And there's something really special, isn't it, about when you see that in another individual and you, you do inspire and you do bring that to them. Uh, it's almost like there's like, a, there's like a selfish, you know, you're like, I, I love the feeling too. Yeah. And, and, and of course it's all selfish, but it's, it is special. We often focus on return on investment, right? And I, I, I used to pay for people's fuel mm-hmm. often, never the diesel Bowser because it's always too expensive. <laughs> but I'd just pay for like Bowser 7 and I'd wait for you to go in to pay for your fuel. And then you would go in and, and go to pay and they'd say, oh, that guy there in the car paid. <laughs> and then you'd look at me and go, oh, thanks so much. And then I'd go, no problem. And I'd drive off. And I realized after a, you know, quite a long period of time, the only reason why I was paying for your fuel was to be thanked. Mm. It was all about the return that I'm getting from you to me. But now I pay for people's fuel and just drive off. And a lot of people say, oh, what if that person goes inside to pay for the fuel and the person behind the counter pockets the money? Well, the person behind the counter needed the money more than I did. What if the person that goes in to pay for the fuel um, goes and gets that money and puts it in the poker machine? Well, I hope, I hope they win. But like your point that you just raised, I do it because it's this internal joy that I feel when I know that I'm doing something for somebody else without them knowing that it's from me. We're hardwired that way. We yeah. really are, you know, like take us all the way back to cave people days and our little communities. Like we're hardwired to, to, to be giving and then the sense and the feeling that you get when you get that back. And I think though, the way the world's evolved, 
we do it nowadays because we want to be thanked. We do mm. it because we want to be acknowledged. We do it because we want people to see, wow, he must be doing really well in mm. life. But when we can just, and you know, those that are listening, it'd be a great challenge for you. Do something where you get a tap on the back and say thank you, but then do something completely anonymous. Mm. And it'll take you a while. Like it's not an instant gratification. Mm. It's not this joy moment of going, that was awesome. But after a while, you will realize that it is far greater to start to give and serve others without getting that that pat on the back compounding compounding interest in yeah. really <laughs> a long time yeah. so take me back take me back to your life take me through your story take me through the journey that created the michael that sits in front of me today i think it all began when i was a, a little baby boy i um i went to the doctors with my mum and my sister she had an ear infection and i'm much more of a hugger i don't really do the handshake thing so What's been really interesting, you know, between 2020 and 2022, I guess, is that I went from traveling the world, speaking, hugging, photos, autographs, all that fun stuff, to being completely locked down for 11 months, didn't leave the house for 11 months. So I went from hugs to handshakes to elbow bumps to then just bowing at people to say good day. Like it was just a whole different world. But back then I was a hugger. I gave the doctor a big hug, his knee brushed my stomach, he thought that doesn't feel right. I'm taking a Coffs Harbour Hospital, that night I'm airlifted to Sydney Hospital and the following morning I was diagnosed with an incurable cancer of the central nervous system called neuroblastoma stage 4. Uh, doctor said no chance of survival, take your little boy home and allow him to live the next few months with his family because there's nothing we can do. But like everybody listening, everybody on the planet, we all have choices and the choices that we make each and every day can help reshape and remold, redefine our future. And my sweet mum asked one question, I don't want to know what the chances are of my son dying, I just want to know what the chances are of my son surviving. Um, they said to her that my uh, death rate was around 96% and just to go home. And I sit here in front of you today with so much gratitude that my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full. Uh, chemo started on my first birthday. She tells me the story about how she negotiated with the doctors just to let me have my first birthday without chemo and without getting sick. And the doctor said to her, today could be the first day your son gets sick from chemo, but it could also be the first day your son finally gets healthy because of the chemo. It's just amazing in life, I think, how when we change the way we look at things, the things mm. we look at change. Mm. Uh, so obviously, I started chemo on my first birthday. My cycle was nine days on, three days off um, for nearly two and a half years. I lived in Coffs Harbour, but my treatment was in Sydney. So we would do an 11 hour train ride down. We'd start chemo for nine days. And then if my white cells were high enough, I was allowed to get on the train and take the 11 hour train trip back to Coffs. I'd be there for a day and a half. And then we'd train it back down to, uh, to Sydney. Um, can you remember any of this? Oh, I can, I can remember the vomiting. I can mm. remember the burning. Mm. Um, I can remember praying mm. because we would sit at the end of the bed every afternoon on that ninth day just praying that my white cells were where they needed to be so I could go home and see my sisters and my dad. Mm. And, um, but then, unfortunately, one day the doctors came in and said that the treatment wasn't working. The tumour uh, that was centralised in my stomach had spread. It had, um, it had grown up through my aorta. It was wrapped around my spine. It was crushing my heart. And they said I needed to go into surgery. I went into surgery and six hours later they came out and said we didn't get it all. Um, there's now nothing we can do. So my dad and my three older sisters were flown down uh, through Camp Quality to uh, basically come into the room to say goodbye. And you know, I, I pray that no one that's listening ever has to 
receive that phone call to mm. to go in and say goodbye to your little boy or your or your brother or your sister and um but the next day there was an american doctor he was trying experimental drug on 25 people around the world they had 24 candidates and um they asked whether we want to be number 25 we had no idea what the side effects would be we all had to sign a waiver so regardless of the side effects we couldn't mm. sue the company mm. um so we obviously said yes you know i i really believe that outside of love hope is one of the most powerful words in the english dictionary and it gave us hope and so we started the drug with 24 other families uh, long story short within 90 days tragically 24 out of 25 of us had died um, the side effects we were burnt from head to toe we would be wrapped up in bandages they'd lie us in bars full of ice trying to prevent our brains from frying did they have any idea that was the side effects or was it brain they knew it yeah they knew it yeah wow. after after we started it yeah, yeah, yeah. but the I guess the unbelievable choice that a parent would have to make would be to stop the burning mm. and your child's going to die or continue the burning and hope mm. to pray your son's not going to die. Mm. So we were burned for 18 months until one day they said that um, we were allowed to go home. But they also said that I would never go to school, I'd never play sport, I'd be a housebound baby and if I reached my teenage years it'd be a miracle. And my mum come through the curtains, I made out I didn't hear what the doctor said and uh, I said, what did the doctor say? And she said, oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay. She believed in me. Mm. So I went to school. <clears throat> My time at school was tough. I was different. I got picked on all the time. And I learned at a young age that your value doesn't decrease based on one's inability to see your worth. Mm -hmm. I, I learned that and it really embedded a different value proposition in my heart. And uh, I wanted to play the game that I loved, and that was baseball. Mm. I started playing, and, and by the time I was 12, I made the Coffs Harbour team, the New South Wales team. Unfortunately, from the side effects that I had as a baby from that drug, I, I suffered my first major heart attack uh, a week before I flew out to the national championships. They said I'd never play sport again. My mum said the doctors told me everything was going to be okay. And two years later, I made the under-16 Australian Expos team. I flew to America. I got a chance to play over there. Uh, I managed to play over there when I was 17 with the same organization. I was lucky enough to pick up a scholarship to study sports psychology um, in Texas, which was just awesome. Unfortunately, health and finances deteriorated rapidly when I was over there, came back to Australia, uh, did a TV show on Australian stories, sharing my life, then got into banking, climbed my way up into the corporate world. Somehow I got a job in banking. By the time I was 23, I had 600 staff, had you know, 120 banks around Australia and New Zealand reported directly to the CEO. And I was driven by the three P's that destroy people, you know, uh, openly. I was driven by power, privileges, and possessions. Mm. And it took me to hit rock bottom probably around 2010 for me to really wake up to myself. Um, in 2007, my mum and dad separated. In 2008, when it all settled, I invested all my mum's money uh, to try and get her a good return so eventually she could buy a nice house. Um, we invested all of our funds about six weeks before the GFC hit. Oh, yeah. yeah. I lost all my mum's money. And um, I had so much debt trying to make myself look bigger living here in Sydney mm -hmm. that I couldn't take care of her. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like I failed her as a, as a son mm. and, um, and as a provider. And then, as you all know, when we get stressed out, we get sick. And when I get sick, unfortunately, I get really sick. Mm. <clears throat> so in 2010, I got bacterial meningitis, got fluid on the brain, had Bell's palsy. And it was like a stroke down the right-hand side of my body. I had to learn to walk again and talk again. And, you know, I don't 
normally share this, but it was the time in my life where I'd just given up. I, d I didn't want to fight anymore. Mm. And um, my wife would come into hospital every night and she'd say, I love you, and I'll see you in the morning. And I would wait for her just to get far enough away and I'd say, I love you and goodbye. Mm. But I think that the two greatest days in one's life is the day that we are born and the day that we discover why we are born. Mm -hmm. And often we discover our why in our darkest moments. So for me, that was my darkest moment. <clears throat> and I discovered my why. I realized that all I needed to do was master two things my whole world would change. I needed to master what success was. I needed to master what giving was. And now I understand that success is not about how big my house is. It's about how big my heart is. Mm. And I realized that giving... Giving for me is, as we mentioned earlier, is the key aspect of what I try and do and strive to do every day. Mm. You know, I always thought the saying was, the more you give, the more you shall receive. But I think that saying should be, the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. And I think that if we give without remembering and receive without forgetting, mm. I think that's when the whole world starts to change. And that's when I committed my life to giving back to the world. Uh, I, I aligned myself with a whole heap of charities and then realized that most of the money donated to charities goes not in the right direction. So my uncle, he taught me a great phrase when I was young, if it's important, you'll find a way, if not, you'll find an excuse. And right there and then was the perfect moment for me to, to just go back into corporate world mm. rather than coming up with a solution. So some friends of ours and I, we started our own uh, charity where every cent gets sent. And we went to a place on the other side of the world where people could never pay me back for my service. Uh, we went to Haiti. <clears throat> in Haiti, there was an earthquake hit to yeah. kill 316,000 people. Two and a half million people left homeless. Unemployment rate 10 years after the earthquake, still about 85%. And wow. uh, yeah, we, uh, we opened wow. a school over there for 270 kids. Mm. And then unfortunately, we've been told due to my health, we'd never be able to start a family. So we decided to uh, open an orphanage. And now we have 44 kids that we, we look after 365 days a year. And, um, you know, I, I think for me that was, that was a moment in my life where I realized that this is what, this is what I was put on the earth to do, to serve other people, to impact other people, to make other people's lives better. Because I realized when I make other people's lives better, it actually makes my life a whole heap better as well. So then speaking took over. I did a couple of different TV shows in America and <clears throat> here in Australia and the speaking world took off. And now I'm just, you know, I'm so privileged, so grateful and so incredibly blessed to be able to travel the world and share my story and share my heart and my knowledge and my skills with the world and, and hopefully just making an impact every day in other people's lives. Michael, that is absolutely incredible devastating heartbreaking every permutation and i have so many questions for you your resilience and the the continuous getting knocked back in this world is just something that is is blowing me away one of the things i noticed as you were telling that story and and knowing you know we, we chatted before around you know you've done 177 talks last year I still see as I can see in your eye and I can hear that tone in your voice that when you talk about certain notes like your mum, it takes you right, right back. Mm. Tell me a bit more about your mum. Mm. I realised of, of very recent times that it is so much easier lying in the bed than standing next to it. Mm. And the courage and the strength that she has demonstrated to me throughout my life is something that I will, 
I will never forget, and I'm eternally grateful to have her as a mum. There's been more challenges, obviously, as you know, since then. In 2016, I was diagnosed with four more tumours of the throat. They told me that if I made Christmas, it'd be, you know, it'd be a miracle. I, I wrote my first book because I wanted to leave a legacy for my mum, make sure I could take care of her. Uh, they removed three out of the four tumours. Um, the fourth tumour was wrapped around my vocal cord. They said that there was nothing they could do. And I realised that, you know, through the courage and the wisdom and the strength that my mum has instilled in me, that the quality of one's life is not dictated, nor is it determined by the amount of days we live on this earth, but it's about what we fit into those days that allows us to live a remarkable life. And for me, I, like you said, I, I, I want to make sure that when I go to my final resting place that I don't have any regrets. Mm. that I've been able to lead and live a fulfilling life which has been filled with acts of service and um, making sure that I can be the best the best son mm. and the best friend and uh, the best husband and I've always hoped to one day be the best dad that I could, could ever be. And um, that's always been a tricky one because... You know, as I said earlier, they told me we'd never be able to have kids, but in 2017, we announced to the world that uh, a miracle had happened. Mm -hmm. After five years of IVF, um, my wife and I announced to the world that we're having a baby, and unfortunately, it didn't go according to plan. Um, my wife went into labour at 29 weeks. We were airlifted down to the Royal Hospital in Randwick, and um, our son arrived, uh, young Lachlan James, um, he was less than a kilo. He was put in intensive care unit level three uh, where we couldn't, we couldn't hold him, we couldn't kiss him, we couldn't be parents. And I remember one night we were staying at the Ronald McDonald house and what made it so raw was that I lived at Ronald McDonald house with my mum mm. for four years as a sick little boy. And 30 years later, I was living at Ronald McDonald house with my own sick little boy. Dumb. You talk about a full circle of, of, um, of life mm. and challenges. That was, that was that moment where I finally got a chance to feel what my mum felt and give me back the bed. <laughs> you know, I wanted to lay in it, give me back in there. I'd take his uh, spot in a heartbeat. Mm. And then one night they told us that um, he had a horrible illness called sepsis, a blood disease. They said we had less than five days with him and to prepare his funeral and... I remember yelling at him saying, take my house, take my car, take my followers, take my likes, take everything that I've ever created in my world, mm. but just don't take my sweet little boy. And uh, God listened. And now he's a, he's a beautiful, healthy, you know, happy little boy. And um, another miracle occurred in uh, lockdown. Mm. Um, because of my immune system, we weren't allowed to go outside. Mm. My wife and my son and I were in lockdown for 11 months, didn't go to the grocery store, didn't go to the beach. Didn't go to the in-laws, mm. uh, so it wasn't all bad. COVID wasn't all bad. I didn't have to go to the in-laws. Jeez, I'm in trouble when he watches this because I guarantee he watches everything I've tagged in. Love you, Steve. Um, Sorry, Steve. But uh, <clears throat> miraculously, my wife fell pregnant and uh, we had a beautiful, healthy little baby girl named Summer Grace. And, you know, I am just, I'm just eternally grateful to be able to experience what real true love is mm, mm. and uh, as you know last year i got another little reminder um october 15 i was diagnosed with six more tumors of the throat and uh, i had to do a video message teaching my son how to shave and i don't even know if i shave right but i shaved this morning and it's pretty smooth so hopefully it's right <laughs> looks good but i managed to get through that surgery not only did they remove the six but they removed the seventh one that was wrapped around my vocal cord from 2016 wow and for the first time since 
2015, I, I got to announce to the world that I'm cancer-free and uh, to, to have that experience, but to be able to share that with the world. Mm. And we must prioritise what's truly important to us now, not when it gets taken away from us, mm. not when we're given an end date. Mm. And, you know, I, I remember seeing a picture of a dad playing on his phone one day and a little boy was looking up at him and it said, if only I was daddy's phone, I would finally get some attention. And I, I think that it's so important that we share that stuff. Mm. Mm. You know, don't lose sight of what you have because you're so focused on what you want. And do you think that all of this that you've gone through has completely changed yourself as a, as a dad? And, and you... Because you, what, what I hear as I hear you talk is I, I hear such deep compassion and love. And I couldn't help but shake this feeling in my mind where I'm like wow, your kids would be so lucky to have you because I can see how every moment with you, you would really cherish. Mm. I can see how you wouldn't be oh, a yeah. father on the phone. I yeah. can see how you're, you know, every little drawing is, oh, my God, that's amazing. You know, like, like, what does that look like for you as a dad? Like, it must be the most proud moment, but, like, how, you know, how does that shape each and every day for you? It certainly made me understand what life's all about. Mm. And, you know, I'd be wrong to say that I'm the perfect dad. I'm so <laughs> far away from that. But I really want to make sure that my son and my daughter don't see me on the phone. Mm. We have a phone drawer and that's where the phone goes. I want them to see my eyes and not my forehead. Mm. I want them to know that they are loved unconditionally for who they are. And we get it wrong some days and we struggle like everybody. But I just think that often our kids don't want the toys they just want our attention mm. and I really hope that I can give that to them. And, you know, I spoke to you earlier, my dream for a long time, especially when we had our daughter, Summer, was to just simply be alive, to be able to take her to school. I just thought if I could make it another five years, six years and, you know, be able to be there, to be able to take her to school. Yes, my work was going crazy, so I was in this position to try and financially set them up and, mm. and you know, set the tuition fees for universities and make sure we're debt free and mm. all those sort of things. And then I'm like, why, why am I, why have this short-term goal when I, if I invest in my health, mm. then maybe I can not just walk her to school, but maybe I could walk her down the aisle. Mm. And that's changed everything. You know, mm. now, now everything that I put in my body, I'm so focused on. The food that I eat, you know, I, I wish I could just live here and you could feed me that food all the time. That was incredible. <laughs> you know, my wife's solution. cooking's amazing, but... <laughs> It's not of that quality, but don't tell her I said that. You know, I, I like the heated up pasta in the microwave. She does an amazing job. Just kidding. She's an amazing cook. But I, you know, that, that fuel stuff, you know, mm, is this stuff mm. fueling me? Is it allowing me? And, and not just the food that we eat and the, and the, and the liquid that we consume, mm. but also like, what are we listening to? What mm. podcasts are we listening to? What do we listen to on the radio? What are we watching on TV? Is it hindering us mm. or is it growing us? Is it allowing us to thrive or is it holding us back from our full potential? And for me, I think that's just so important. Everything that I've been through has allowed me to craft my mind in a way that is just so vigilant around what is being consumed. And that, I hope, allows me to be a really great dad, a great husband, a wonderful son, and, you know, this phrase of get curious, not furious in every situation that you're in in your life. Mm. As a parent, as a partner, you know, I really want to just get curious in understanding why we're in this situation mm. as opposed to getting furious because of the situation. Michael, lost words. That's, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible. 
what do you consume? Like, what do you, with all of that mindset, like, what is it that you consume and you spend your time with outside of the kids and outside of work? What, what, what do you let in? I'm a man of great faith. You know, I, I, I'm a strong Christian man who really believes that without the love of God and the guidance and the sole focus on him, mm. I would never be here. I realized, well, I thought for a long time, especially in the corporate days when I was sort of making that, that banking money, mm. thinking that making I was bigger than what I really am. I thought that I was making the footsteps in sand, but I realized that I was getting carried because that was a dark moment in my life. Mm. So for me, faith has been absolute key, number one priority, mm. making sure that I just ask him daily to shine the light on the path that he wants me to walk. Uh, but secondly, you know, I'm right into alternate medicine. I really mm. want to make sure that the food that I eat is all natural and healthy. I my last alcohol drink I had was at my sister's 18th birthday party and I was 14 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I had one lemon lemon rusky or whatever, yeah, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. West Coast cooler or something. Yeah. Um, Lit. Yeah, <laughs> I was hammered, vomiting <laughs> under the lemon tree, I remember. Um, but also, like, I'm, I'm right into my meditation. Mm. I'm very structured around my routine, the music that I listen to. You know, I, I remember I was a, a hood kid. You know, I like to listen to the rap and all that sort of stuff and... Uh, now I'm just very mindful of, is this serving me? Mm. Is this making me better? Because I ultimately, at the end of the day, just want to be an awesome dad. Mm. I want my kids to be proud of their dad. And I, I really want my, my wife to see me as a great, faithful husband. Mm. And um, you know that, that has really steered me in the accountability side of what I'm consuming. Amazing. And I'd like to go down the pathway a little bit around we touched on before around you do some coaching you do some coaching with with uh, it sounds like business people um how do you bring all of this all this world into that into that space it's interesting because it's sort of coaching shows me i and i don't want to talk about coaching <laughs> because i don't want any more clients and i'm not definitely not you know pushing to to be a you know the sales guy mm. but I, during COVID, um, I had 68 events get cancelled overnight wow. and a client asked me whether you do some one-on-one -on -one stuff with our team and I was like, yeah, <laughs> all right, no worries. So then I started and then they loved it and then they booked more and then they said, oh, can we book 120 sessions? And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't even know how to price scale this, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. And then I realised that I'm actually having a greater impact on their personal mm. than their professional life. And yes, often it's a counseling session, wow. but sometimes people just need to listen. Mm. And I like to listen because I do so much talking on stage, <laughs> yeah. right? So for me, it just, it shows me. And I, you know, I'm really grateful for the, the clients that I get to look after and serve. And, you know, I, I utilize the, the depth of the darkness that I've experienced mm. and the skills that I've learned not through textbooks mm. to be able to serve them in a you know in a coaching role in a professional role in a humility role mm. some of these guys are big time ceos and and some of them are pro athletes and i want to help keep them and teach them how to be humble and mm. to stay grounded and mm. to strive daily to serve others not just serve their bank account and you know that's been that's been a really great uh, gift for me and you know I really enjoy it I, mm, I really mm. do enjoy it but I um, you know it, it's very consuming yes. but I see that it's definitely the transition away from traveling you know my family travel a lot with me yep. but my my beautiful boys at school now and that can't last forever and mm. soon my daughter's going to be at school a couple more years so I know that I don't want to be 
you know, 11 countries in seven weeks was was a little bit wild to finish off the uh, the 2023 speaking season. Yeah. You know? So to be able to spend a little bit more time at home and be able to serve one on one is, um, you know, it's a great privilege. And I and I hear these, you know, I hear the coaching, I hear the 177 stages, and then I reflect it against your mission, your purpose to impact people. And you're clearly on that. You're on that pathway. You're absolutely living up to your purpose. What I'd love to know is. I'm sure people come up to you and say, Michael, you have changed my life. Do you have any stories you could share with me? Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, certainly not prepared, but I, 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 when people come up to me and say things like that, I, I, don't, I don't see myself as a person that's changing people's lives. Mm. I just, I hope that it's happening, mm. but I don't see myself as mm. that guy. I don't see myself as a superstar. I don't see myself as a hero. You know, to be asked to be a make-a-wish for a kid that's mm. dying, mm. to hopefully instill hope into his heart and his family's heart to not quit is just something that just brings so much emotion out yeah. in me. To be able to connect with a CEO who's earning millions and millions of dollars mm. a year and then for him to realise that he's missing life with his kids mm. and to strategically step away and be able to actually spend time with his kids to be a present father mm. to know that there are families that now have a dad or a mum that's actually present and real and connected there was one story about a young lady that i spoke to in colorado one day and i i didn't even want to do the event um and they convinced me to go and i i went and did the event and i remember this girl she was in the front row and about 30 days after I got back from the States, I got a heap of letters in the mail. And one of them was for this, from this lady. And it started with, I used the rope to play tug of war. And I was like, that's a really strange way to start a letter. So obviously I started reading it yeah. quickly. And uh, she went on and she shared me her story, how she didn't want to come to the event and she'd never heard of me. And she just, you know, um, she had had a really tough life and... Unfortunately, her father-in-law had done some horrible... Uh, sorry, her stepfather had done some horrible things to her when she told her mum. Her mum said that she was lying and kicked her out of the home. And Anyway, everything had just spiralled. And that morning, she went to get some rope from the hardware store. She went back to the hotel. She tied it up. And then they knocked on the door and said, come downstairs, we've got this guy from Australia. They said, She said, no, no, I'm just going to rest. And they said, no, you need to come down. So they dragged her down. And she was quite a large lady mm. and... Um, after the story, she she went back and she untied the rope. She went down and asked the kids whether they wanted to play tug of war. And because she was heavy, everyone wanted her in the team. So she used the perceived negativity or the perceived, you know, um, misfortune that some mm. may see mm. as this as this benefit, as this positive outlook and this mm. positive aspect and. You know, I think that if, if I've been able to just save one person's life or change somebody's life, it, you know, it, and, and to get all the messages online is, you know, is amazing. Mm, but I don't mm. read into that too much yeah, because yeah. I always know that um, you should never take criticism from somebody you wouldn't take advice from. Mm. And when you get, you know, there's a video now that's gone around, it's had 88 million views. And uh, 
I got bored one day and I decided to read all the comments. Realised probably not a good idea because <laughs> sometimes there's some keyboard warriors. Yeah. I remember there's a video of my son and I. I'm towing on, him Michael. along the beach. <laughs> just towing him along the beach with the boogie board. And my nephew's there. And I yell out at my nephew and say, hey, watch out. Just because I wanted a nephew to get out of the road. And uh, so he jumps out of the road and I zoom past. And it's had 68 million views, 64.8 million views yeah. of me and my little guy. Yeah. And uh, I was like, how? Like, how is this even possible to have yeah, that many yeah, views? Yeah. And then I looked at all the comments and there's thousands of comments. The first comment was, did he just tell that kid to get out of the beach? And then someone else wrote back, who does he think he is? And then someone else wrote back, <laughs> who does he think he is? Does he think he owns the beach? Yeah. And then the next comment was, I'm pretty sure he just told that kid to get out. And then the next person said, if I was there, I would have knocked him the poop out. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I don't know, went on and on and on. And you know, those things though, I think they're here to <laughs> test us, but yeah. they're here to teach us, right? Mm. And it really taught me this is there truth to it? Mm. You know, when people say horrible things to me or horrible mm. things to people in general, I think if we just look at it and go, is there truth to it? If there's no truth to it, then we need to disregard it. If mm. there's truth to it, then what can we learn from yeah. it? What's the lessons we can take away from it? And then we can just move on. It's not about getting upset or emotional or angry or frustrated or try and resent the person, but it's actually about just mm. understanding what is this moment teaching us? Mm. Is this moment teaching us that we are good people, mm. that we are kind, we're humble and we're caring? Or is this moment where we, we might be throwing a little bit of ego out in the world? And mm. I think for me, every moment that causes me discomfort, and yep. I seek discomfort daily, but every moment that causes me discomfort, I really focus on what's the lesson behind mm. that discomfort. And it's like a, almost reconciling that, the, the gut feeling or that discomfort with what was it yeah. and, and, and trying to find the, the reasons. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So... As you reflect on this, this life, this path, this journey and everything you've done so far and you start to look forward into the future, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you, you, know, what is it that you want to be? What is it the, the mark you want to continue to make? Like, where do you see yourself going from here? So my goal in the next five years is to close the orphanage. Okay. So I think that all families, all kids, if possible, need to be with a family member or someone that actually loves them, that oh, cares for them. Wow. So over the last sort of four years, we've identified at the orphanage that 24 parents out of the 44 parents are actually still alive. So then we've tried wow. to give the kids back to their parents. All of them were unemployed. All of them had no homes to live in. Wow. So you imagine just for a moment as a dad that you've lost your child in an earthquake, never found the body. Eight years later, someone knocks on your door and says, here's your son. He doesn't know you because he was only 18 months at the time. But we can't give you your son back because you don't earn enough money and you don't have a house to look after him. Mm. We created more pain than we thought we were going to create. We thought we were finding a solution. So then we thought, what can we do? So we started our own micro businesses for all these families in four different categories. We've got construction, jewelry making, clothing, manufacturing, and translating, teaching them how to speak English. Out of the 24 parents that we found, all 24 of them now have their kids living with them full time. We've built uh, little shanties, little homes for them. We send care packages to them every single week. We have a full-time council that goes in and checks on the families mm. to make sure they're doing okay. We still pay for their schooling. But 24 parents have now got 24 micro-businesses that are serving enough to be able to support them and their family. So to be able to continue to do those types of projects, to be able to eventually close the orphanage, for me, mm. would be an absolute treat. Um, secondly, I, I really love what I do. I, I love sharing my message mm. with the world. And, you know, I hope that when we do these events and mm. do these types of interviews, interviews that people go, you know what, my company, my team, 
would really benefit and and have great value from hearing that message. Mm. Um, I've evolved into doing a lot of workshops now Mm. from leadership points of view around mindset and language. I think language, you know, we have 80,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative, 56,000 negative thoughts. And often a lot of that negativity comes from the words that we speak. And it might be so easy, like, how's your day going? And you say, not bad. Mm. You know, first word, not, second word, bad, both Mm. negative, both destructive words. And Mm. now I'm just really micro and even leading up into my operation last year i was so micro around the words that i spoke Mm. everything was optimistic everything was filled with resilience and courage and hope and there was no negativity even when i travel away now and i would always call my kids and we'd facetime and i'd say you know i miss you so much what am i trying to tell them Mm. i'm trying to tell them that i love them Mm. but when i say that i miss them it evokes such a pain right It, it, it evokes an emotional pain that i'm reflecting onto them Mm. which is meaning that I'm causing them pain. So now I just rephrase it and say, I'm really excited to see you in three more sleeps, two Mm. more sleeps, Mm. one more sleep. So just slight language change can have such a huge shift. So the workshops I'm really enjoying, the book that, you know, I've written is now a bestseller in six countries around the world. And we've never taken a dollar from the book. We donated all to charity. And, you know, that for me, I wrote the book originally to leave a legacy for my my wife and my mum. I rewrote it in 2021 and updated it. And um, obviously I'm still here, so we've, we've never taken any money from it. So to be able to know that that's, you know, really impacting people. And then finally, I, I, just, I just want to be a great family man. Mm. I just want to be a great dad. I want to be a really great present husband. Mm. I, I want to be a faith-filled man that can really leave an impact on the world. You know, I, I love that saying, when you were born, you cried and the whole world rejoiced. I want to make sure that I live a life that when I die, the whole world cries. Michael, you are, you're an amazing human. You're an incredible human. I have a number more questions. Oh, got me that one. (laughs) I was meant to say, I want to make sure I live a life that when I die, the whole world cries and I rejoice, but I just, um, I was choking on the steak. <laughs> no, no. The steak was amazing. Uh, far out. Far out, Michael. Um, I have one more question for you, mm. if that's okay. Oh, ask away. i got all afternoon. Whilst I'm here, I'm not <laughs> changing dirty nappies, so we're sweet. <laughs> no, I'd change a dirty nappy in a heartbeat. <laughs> Over sitting here with this horrible view, it's terrible. <laughs> What are you most proud of? There's a few things that I'm, I'm proud of. You know, in, in 2016, four weeks before I was diagnosed, I realized that giving back is far greater than receiving and impacting others is a far greater joy than buying myself something. So mm. in 2016, after losing all of my mum's money in 2008, I finally got a chance to buy her a new house. How did that feel? That was just the most joyous occasion in my life. The repayments, the mortgage repayments, still not a fan. Not, don't, <laughs> I, still don't, I still don't like it all these years later. still don't like yeah. it when it comes out every week, yeah, you know. Yeah. But what I am a fan of is every time I go around and she's playing in the garden, you know, and I, I realise that it's far greater to give than to receive. Mm. So for me, that is, that is a really proud moment for me. It must um, feel incredibly yeah, special. Yeah, it must it feel is. so special yeah. for such an amazing mum. Yeah. The second thing for me was probably forgiving my dad. You know, I, I didn't talk to my dad for six six years after they separated. Mm. Yeah, 
I love him dearly, but you know, my dad, he, he taught me probably, he taught me in many, many ways how not to be a dad. Wow. He taught me how not to be a husband. And I'm eternally grateful for those lessons because I think so often we strive to admire the traits in others that we want to implement in our lives. But I think just as important, we need to acknowledge the traits in others that we do not admire to ensure that we do not implement those traits. Mm. So for me, that was a, a, a beautiful lesson. Mm. And to forgive him for the past wrongs, and it wasn't about forgiving him for what he has done, but it was about forgiving him to release the weight of the world that I was carrying on my mm. shoulders. So I think for those that are listening, if there's, if there's pain in your past, to be able to forgive is so, so important and so, so freeing. You know, you could finally take a deep breath again. Mm. And to not have that moment of regret when the time comes where you no longer are in a position to forgive. And I think thirdly is, is to, to, to have a, a family that I am immensely grateful for, that I'm truly present for, that I am real and raw and connected and that I have been able to just be a, I hope, a, a really great dad and a really wonderful husband and a caring son that is really devoted to, to my family and, and know that they are my priority over anything in the world. And there you can hear my son crying. <laughs> <laughs> my son, on cue. Yeah, my son's <laughs> like, that doesn't sound, that sounds better than my daddy. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful for the time we've shared today, Michael. I, I can't express that enough. Um, the takeaway for me above and beyond anything else is just how precious life is and seeing the twinkle in your eye as you talk about your kids, as you talk about your family. It's just like this huge reminder to myself for like that, that, that importance mm. and, you know, putting a mirror in my face and like, I can do better. I can do better, Frank. And I, I really appreciate it. But above and beyond myself, I then think about what you're, the impact that you're making on this world. I know, I know you hear it all the time, but it's like, you know, the, the, the pain, the suffering and all that that you went through, it's like you went through it to be able to showcase it to the world and, and, and you're, you're on the right mission, you're on the right path and I'm incredibly grateful for the time and, and I know well, you know, the listeners will be too. So thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Someone said to me one day, geez, you've been dealt with some really shit cards. I remember saying back to them, whilst everyone being dealt cards, that means I'm still in the game. <laughs> and whilst everyone's still in the game, it's about how I choose to play those cards that allows me to live a remarkable life. And I think that to all your listeners, don't spend the rest of your life comparing your cards to other people. Mm. Be grateful that you still have cards. Be grateful that you're still in the game and, and play your cards as effectively as what you can. But uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.